welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet them, greet them, treat them, and street them. Today's date is February 28th, 2020, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is, And I See Your True Colors Coming You From Your Anxiety. And our guest skeptic is Dr. Corey Heinz. He is an emergency physician in Roanoke, Virginia. He is also the CME editor for Academic Emergency Medicine. Welcome back to the S-Gem, Corey, and this must be another S-Gem hot off the press. Yes, it is. Always glad to be here, Ken. Well, you rotate through every three months with Chris Bond and Justin Morgenstern. Is that enough time for you to have bought another bike already? So, actually, when was our last recording? Three months ago. Was it before Thanksgiving? Well, you don't know. I'm, this is American Thanksgiving. Was it before the end of November or after the end of November? Let's see here. I think it was at the end of November. Then it's quite possible because right at the end of November, I did actually buy a new bike. So you, you, you got me there. And have you named the bike? Um, it is. So my daughter named my, my road bike that I got a few years back. Um, she named it Rainbow Dash when she was very obsessed with, uh, with My Little Pony. And this bike is a teal blue and it had some red, it had some red lettering on it. And so she named this one Rainbow Dash number two. Come on, just, why don't you just come out and tell us that you're a real bronies or something? <laughs> the bronies, yes. Aren't you a brony? <laughs> My little brony. Uh... <laughs> no, moving on. Okay. So um, we as physicians are often accused correctly of too quickly reaching for the prescription pad using pills as the only answer. And sometimes we are even accused of being in the pocket of big pharma. But this study that we're going to cover today, it's non-pharmaceutical treatment. So I was really excited to do this one. And I wanted to make sure everyone knows, I've got to put out a disclaimer, that I personally do not have any conflicts of interest with big coloring and do not accept any funding from Crayola or any other pencil crayon manufacturer. Corey, you got anything you want to disclose? Well, I have two small children, so if anybody wants to send me any coloring supplies, I would be happy to incorporate them into my life, but I will not falsify the results of any study in return. Well, and we are recording this before you've received that generous package. Well, exactly. From big coloring. So why don't you give us a case and people will understand why we're talking so much about coloring. Sounds good, Ken. All right, so one night during an overnight shift, you were taking care of a patient who presented to the emergency department due to anxiety and vague suicidal ideation. The process for medical clearance and psychiatric evaluation can take quite a while, and you notice that this patient seems stressed and anxious. You wonder if there's a way to assist them during the prolonged wait without resorting to sedative medication. Psychological disorders are a common reason for presenting to the emergency department. Anxiety disorders are the most common. However, we've only covered mental health issues a few times on the SGEM. Patients with psychological disorders are often kept in the ED for a prolonged period of time. The ED itself can be a stressful environment and exacerbate anxiety. Emergency physicians have pharmaceutical options available to them to treat anxiety. And one of the most common medications used is a benzodiazepine like lorazepam or diazepam. There is a need for non-pharmacological therapies to treat anxiety, and in some settings, art therapy has been studied. 
Specifically, adult coloring books have been used in the community and seem to function through cognitive easing. So, Corey, what's the clinical question? Can adult coloring decrease anxiety in adult patients presenting to the emergency department? And the reference? Rajendran et al. Randomized Controlled Trial of Adult Therapeutic Coloring for the Management of Significant Anxiety in the Emergency Department. Academic Emergency Medicine, February 2020. Yeah, we're just sliding this right under that one month because it's February 28th (laughs) today. I was a little busy this month. All right, let's go through the PICO. What was the population? Patients greater than 15 years old with a score of greater than 6 on the Hospital Anxiety and Depression Scale, Anxiety Subscale, or the HADS-A. And what was the intervention? A coloring pack, which was 10 adult coloring pages and 36 pencil colors. And what did they compare it to? A placebo pack of 10 plain sheets of paper, a Bic pen, and instructions to draw or write freely. All right, let's go through the outcomes. What was the primary outcome? Within patient change in HADS-A score from baseline after two hours of therapy. And the secondary outcomes? Survey questions regarding the value of the therapy and the level of engagement with the treatment packs as measured by length of time using them. Well, this is an SGEM hot off the press episode, which means we have the lead author on the show, Dr. Naveen Rajadran. He is an intern working at Westmead Hospital in Sydney, Australia. Welcome to the SGEM, Naveen. Hey, thank you for having us. And we also have your supervisor on this study, Dr. Andrew Coggins. He is a staff emergency medicine physician at Westmead's Hospital in Sydney and also the lead of the Sim Center. Welcome to the SGM, Andrew. Thanks for having us on the show. Now, you've got, there's got to be a backstory here. I mean, it didn't seem intuitive to me to have someone come to the emergency department and hand them a bunch of pencil crayons. So give us the backstory. So um, I was working in Tasmania on a locum shift, and one of my supervisors or colleagues at that time, Dr. Marielle, uh, gave a borderline personality patient with aggression a coloring book. And for the next two hours, she went from swearing and very upset to very happy and wanting to be discharged back to her group home. And I thought this was quite extraordinary. And I Googled it and did a bit of a PubMed search and couldn't find anything on coloring books in emergency, so we sort of decided we'd try it out for ourselves in our own uh, department. Isn't that fantastic how the seed of the idea came from an observation? And so it was observed that this individual had significant benefit, obviously, from providing them with some coloring material and coloring book, and you took it and did a study on it. I, th- I think that's great. Can you give us the official conclusions from the abstract? Um, sure. So in this study, we, we performed in a randomized control trial looking at the provision of art therapy uh, in a group of patients presenting to IED. And we found that amongst ED patients, exposure to um, adult therapy or a coloring pack resulted in lower self-reported levels of anxiety at two hours compared to a placebo. All right, Corey, we've got to bring you back in for the checklist for randomized control trials. Let's run through those 11 questions. You ready to go? I am. All right. First question. Are these emergency department patients? Yes, they are. Do you think they were adequately randomized? Unsure about that one. Was the randomization process concealed? Yes. Did they do an intention to treat analysis? Yes. The study patients were recruited consecutively? 
Unsure about that as well. Were both groups similar with respect to prognostic factors? Yes, they were, Ken. All participants were unaware of group allocation, so blinding was maintained? Well, given the nature of the treatment and placebo, that was unable to be done. Were all groups treated equally except for the intervention? Yes. Was the follow-up complete? Yes, it was. All patient important outcomes were considered? Yes, they were. And was the treatment effect both large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? Yes, it was. All right, let's go through the key results. They screened 179 patients that were flagged as being anxious. The cohort included 53 participants with the mean age of 33 years and three quarters of the patients were female. What was the key result? The HADS-A score decreased significantly more in the adult coloring book group, approximately 3.4 on that scale. All right, so when you looked at that primary outcome, it was? In the intervention group, the mean HADS-A decrease at two hours was 3.7. And how about in the control group? The mean HADS-A decrease at two hours was 0.3. Oh, and so that's where you get the difference of 3.4 in the HADS-A score. Yes. All right. How about the secondary outcomes? For the question, would you recommend coloring on a Likert scale 1 through 5, the average satisfaction score was 4.2. All right. It's time to get to my favorite part where I get to talk nerdy. All right, Naveen, you ready to go through our 10 nerdy questions? Yeah, absolutely. Well, your supervisor said we were supposed to go easy on you. Are you really prepared? Oh, only time will tell. Okay, let's go through point number one. This is about being a single center. It was also a small study, a relatively small study. The sample size of patients was 53. However, you did recruit enough to meet your power calculation of 48 participants to find a two-and-a-half point decrease with 80% power. We were more concerned, though, that this trial was conducted at a single center, and that raised questions of external validity to other populations. Yeah, this, this, this was a single-center study, and we accept that this is a limitation. Um, I guess our argument for that is uh, EDC is quite a mixed, diverse population. Um, we're situated in, uh, west, in the western suburbs of Sydney. There's a significant in indigenous population in our catchment area. And the hospital itself is a large tertiary uh, referral center. So we felt like we looked at quite a heterogeneous population. A range of ages, a range of conditions, both psychiatric and non-psychiatric, coming through the doors. And we feel like it would be reasonable to uh, extrapolate this to other populations, at least in a local sense. And we also got the idea from another ED, so we felt like this would be worthwhile for some patients to try. And I understand how it could have some external validity to the local area. I guess I was getting more to the point of how would... Americans respond to being handed a pack of pencil crayons or Canadians or people from the United Kingdom. Did you think about that and how they might respond differently? I guess if you go to an airport in North America or in Europe, you can see these coloring books freely available to purchase. So for me, people are buying these things and using them, presumably with the reason to reduce anxiety and have something to do. I certainly came up with the idea of doing a full randomized controlled trial when I travel around the world and I see these for sale in newsstands. So I think, I think there's some validity in assuming that for some patients, a limited number, albeit, that this could be a reasonable thing to give to anxious patients. 
and I guess there will be a lot more anxious patients or people flying around with masks and coloring books currently. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So our second question was about the consecutive patients. We were unsure if this was a consecutive sample. The methods section says all patients in the ED were potentially eligible for the study. However, patients needed to be flagged by residents, consultants, triage nurses, or social workers as being anxious. People have unconscious biases, and this method could have introduced some selection bias. Why not just ask the patients if they were feeling anxious and then ask them to be included in the study? So in the methods section, when we mentioned that, that all patients were eligible, we meant that all patients coming into the ED treatment area, regardless of their presenting complaints, so it didn't necessarily have to be psychiatric or otherwise. With the question of enrollment into the study being consecutive, that's a, that's a valid concern. Consecutive patient enrollment is obviously ideal for any RCT. But I guess just the logistics of this study, for the most part, we had two people running data collection. One was myself. I was a med student at the time and obviously couldn't be in the ED um, at all times. And the other was my supervisor, Dr. Coggins, who's here with us, who was working um, as a, here as a staff specialist. We didn't really have a research nurse. We didn't have any um, other investigators in the ED who could be there at all times. And so just, I guess, from a logistical point of view, we felt that realistically, in order to complete the trial, we'd have to have some help from our colleagues. That makes sense. In terms of the selection bias, I think what that's getting at is the idea of if you've got somebody saying, okay, this person looks anxious, let's, let's approach them. One possibility is you might be skewing your population towards the more anxious group. Now, to some extent, that may inflate the results of the study because people who are somewhat less anxious wouldn't be included. But then you also have the question of the unconscious bias. And, you know, just because somebody doesn't look anxious doesn't mean they, they aren't. No, that, that absolutely true. And, you know, we did find some patients who didn't necessarily appear to be anxious in our pilot because in our pilot, we went around patients fairly randomly, and we found many patients didn't appear to be anxious, had a very high score on the HADS-D score. I think that because we had an inclusion criteria of a HADS-D greater than seven to be in the study, you can assume that every patient that was enrolled was moderate to severe anxiety. And I don't think that we skewed patients towards a higher range on that. The average score was about 10. So I don't think, I mean, and the score goes from zero to 21. So if I was to summarize, I would say that I don't think that that would bias the study because all the patients were anxious because we had we had to exclude a very large number of patients who weren't anxious, even though they were flagged by the treating clinicians as anxious. Well, since you're talking about flagging people and people didn't get included, let's talk about number three, and that's exclusions. A significant number of patients were excluded after the initial screening. Can you discuss how this might affect real-world utility of something like this? Yeah, so an inherent limitation of a study like this is that patients who have a favorable impression of art therapy are obviously more motivated to participate. And I guess this is really true of any um, psychological or non-pharmacological therapy in that engagement is paramount to its success. So we did exclude a quite a few people. A, th a third of the people were excluded because they just didn't meet the inclusion criteria for the study. Uh, they just weren't uh, anxious enough to be included in the trial. And there was a decent chunk as well, about 62 people, as mentioned on our flow diagram, who just declined to participate uh, for various reasons. And I, and I suppose our take-home message was to not be surprised if some patients don't engage with the activity. 
coloring is not a therapy that I mean, realistically or any other therapy that can be forced on anyone, but that shouldn't also preclude from using it in an ED setting. Okay. Um, let's talk for a second about the lack of blinding. So the patients would know if they were in the coloring pack versus the placebo pack, obviously, given that the placebo pack was, was white paper and clearly looked different. How do you think this could have impacted the results? So the patients were, uh, yeah, obviously they knew what they had in front of them, but they were blinded to the research hypothesis itself and the uh, different arms of the trial. So all we told them was that they'd be receiving a non-pharmacological therapy that could help with anxiety. And they then went through the randomization process, got either the coloring pack or the placebo pack. And really, unless they spoke to another patient, or for that matter, like, saw someone coloring there or otherwise would not have known that there was another arm of the trial. Well, that's beautiful because it leads right into number five, and that is about blinding to the hypothesis. You've identified that the patients were blinded to the hypothesis, but were the clinicians and the outcome assessors blinded to the research hypothesis? And it sounds like, Naveen, it was you and Andrew who were doing this, so clearly you knew what the hypothesis was. Yes, we did. Um, unfortunately, yeah, that is one of the limitations of the study that we did identify. The outcome assessors in uh, me and Dr. Coggins were, weren't blinded to the study. However, we weren't actually the treating team or treating clinicians on any of the patients included in the trial. So the patients and their clinicians were blinded to the hypothesis, but yeah, we weren't. In, we, we tried our best. I suppose we, we went through this in the methodology and development of the study and we tried to mitigate this as much as possible. We, we took care with defining inclusion or predefining inclusion criteria, randomizing patients, and then maintaining allocation concealment. We also tried to minimize the number of people actually assessing the scores. So there were only three investigators from the trial that were involved in administering and recording the scores. And we followed a standardized script uh, uh, in order to um, minimize variation in measurements. Well, there's limitations to every study. And Having everyone blinded is a difficult thing to do sometimes in studies, so thank you for explaining it to us. No worries. So let's talk about the, the HADSA scoring for a second. The HADSA has been validated in various languages and groups of patients. You say this anxiety scoring system has been validated in the ED setting. We pulled that study and it was done in Saudi Arabia. Has it been validated in any other countries like the USA or Canada? So the scale itself in both the anxiety and depression subsets has been around for the better part of about 30 years, I think, off the top of my head. And it's been extensively validated in multiple settings, um, oncology, psychiatric, and other general inpatient uh, populations in a bunch of countries, Australia, the US, and Canada included. However, in an ED setting, the validation process uh, was a bit limited. In addition to the trial that uh, you guys mentioned from Saudi Arabia, there is one study in Brazil that validated the scale looking at patients in a cardiac emergency clinic. Uh, and there was also one in Turkey and one in Australia that used the tool, but the latter two weren't uh, validation studies. When we were designing it, we, uh, we, we, lo we looked at a bunch of different uh, anxiety scores uh, and we settled on the heads because it's self-reported, it's easy to score, it's easy to interpret, and it, it provides clear cutoff scores to indicate severity. And we also felt that having been used in a bunch of um, acute care settings and general inpatient settings, that it could uh, translate to an ED environment as well. So what did you think of us pulling the actual original primary study and finding out that it was done in uh, Saudi Arabia? Yeah, that, that was a pleasant surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pleasant surprise. Oh, I am an uber nerd. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, let's go to number seven, and that is about placebo control. There's a difference between a placebo control and an active control. Can you discuss how your placebo control is a true placebo? It seems to me to be more like an active control group. And how is the activity such as coloring so different from having a pen and paper and being told, go occupy yourself with this? Yeah, so when we uh, designed the study, we were, we did think of a number of different arms that we could have included in our uh, placebo group. One of them was the traditional giving someone a drug like a benzodiazepine that would help with anxiety. Uh, the other one was having a group that just received a sugar pill as a placebo. But the um, issue with it was, again, we were running it with just a couple of people, and I was a med student at the time. And the, the governance and ethics process for obtaining approval for a study that would include some kind of pharmacological therapy would have been probably just a bit too complex for the scope of this study. Also, if we had involved benzodiazepines, we would then be doing a non-inferiority trial. Um, we would have had to have redone our pilot and in order to repower the study. And we just felt that in the aims of getting the study done in the time that we had, that would, wasn't going to be possible. Yeah, so you've definitely kind of addressed the the eighth one about, you know, why not compare it to, to usual care such as a benzodiazepine. I think that's a good point that you make about, one, the approval process and then it completely changing the, the nature of the trial and, and how you're going to analyze the data. Yeah, and um, I guess we did, uh, that's true, and we did also think uh, if this was, like, as you said, a true placebo, how would coloring significantly different to someone just I guess, doodling on a blank piece of paper. But one of the other things that we looked at as a secondary outcome was engagement in uh, that, which was defined as the self-reported length of time that patients estimated they spent with either the placebo or the intervention. And we actually found that almost half of the patients in the coloring pack uh, or the group with the coloring pack engaged for over an hour, while only 15% of the placebo group uh, engaged. So there was obviously something about the coloring that caused people to just be more involved with the um, intervention as than just a blank piece of paper and pen. All right, well, let's talk about the magnitude of effect. The intervention did decrease the HADS A score by 3.4 more than the control. While this was statistically significant, is this observed decrease clinically significant? Yeah, um, so the p-value for our primary outcome was less than 0.01. And it was comfortably statistically significant. Um, obviously, as you as you guys raised, it, there is the question of is this clinically significant? So looking at our study, the, the mean baseline anxiety scores of patients before they pa took part in the trial was uh, between about 12 and 13. So a reduction in their absolute anxiety score of 3.4 is a reduction of about 20 to 30%, which we felt like was a, a significant impact. And I guess it's if we were introducing this as a therapy and we gave patients a coloring book, we were to tell them the anxiety would drop by 25%, we felt that they'd be reasonably keen to engage with it. Again, obviously, this is not for everyone, so the clinical significance would depend on each individual patient. But if the patient were to engage with coloring, it just seemed like a high-reward, low-risk kind of intervention. So in terms of duration effect, your primary outcome was at two hours. Did you measure any anxiety outcomes after the activity had ended? Do we know how long it takes someone to return to, return to a high anxiety level once the art therapy is removed? 
Um, no, unfortunately, we 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 focused quite a lot on our on the on the primary outcome that we defined, which was the uh, drop at the end of two hours. And in hindsight, that's probably something we we should have done. Could have included in our study design uh, a slightly longer uh, treatment effect and to see how long the anxiety takes to come back. But uh, I guess we wanted to keep it really simple to allow us to complete the study in the time that we had. And in the future, though, we do think that observational studies might be a useful means of measuring the the longitudinal impact of this intervention, as you as you guys brought up, to see how long it lasted for and uh, if there was a time span for the anxiety to return. Yeah, you know, honestly, looking at, you know, discussing this with you and looking at your data, I think this is an interesting sort of potentially interesting pilot study to build into looking at this compared to medication. You know, it would be awesome to know if you give somebody a benzo versus a coloring pack, how long are they? Is their anxiety reduced? How quickly do they return to an anxiety level? How how much does their had a score decrease with one versus the other. I think this is a good a good start to that saying, hey, this works. Now let's see what else, how well it works to in comparison to something. Uh, one point I'd bring up on that in that regard would be that many patients, I assume in this study, we didn't measure it, but I assume many of the patients in the study were in benzos already. So using those for anxiety. Uh, so, you know, this is an additional tool in the box you can use on top of a benzodiazepine. So it's just an, it's an alternative option. It's an additional option, sure. something else you can try. And actually, that brings up another question that we didn't prep you guys for. Uh, but did you look to see or did you control at all to see whether patients were getting acute anxiolytics during the study time period? No, uh, we didn't. Uh, we didn't look at that, unfortunately. We, we had patients uh, in the treating room. And we, once we gave them the intervention, we didn't actually have any involvement with the actual care plans. Um, we felt that that was important in that, in for both the, for both us and the treating clinicians, that we weren't in any way involved with their treatment. Yeah, we didn't measure that, but the, the, the p-values are not reported in the final study. But in terms of the table one characteristics, there was no difference in the groups overall at baseline, in terms of the kind of key characteristics. Mm-hmm. I don't think it, I don't think it's likely that one group would have had ten patients with benzodiazepines and the other group having none. But I can't rule that out because we didn't measure it. So this was a good start showing that coloring can have an impact on anxiety compared to your control group. It really would have been nice to see how this compares to usual care. And usual care does tend to involve a benzodiazepine. And even if the individual was already on the benzodiazepine, Corey, uh, I often will you know, give someone an additional benzodiazepine if they come in and they are quite anxious, they're already taking a benzodiazepine, I've given another dose to help them with their anxiety. Have you done something like that? Uh, yeah, certainly have. Um, you know, people come in often, like you said, on benzos, and if they're significantly anxious, you may very well give them an acute dose of something, especially if they either request it or if they're in any way disruptive or look like they're under significant stress. So, so I guess my question would be, you know, every intervention has potential benefit, and every intervention has potential harm, even this intervention could have potential harm. And so how does that compare to the potential benefit of giving a benzodiazepine to the potential harm of also giving a benzodiazepine? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I think with that question, the main thing I've seen with coloring is 
patients will often get very frustrated with it. They'll, and you can just see that within a couple of minutes of engaging with it, they just don't want to do it. And the instinct for those patients is to put the coloring book down and then not engage with the coloring book. If you give a patient a benzodiazepine, you can't really take that away once you've given it to the patient. So the great thing about this treatment is that the effect and also the harm depends on the length of engagement, I guess, with the, with the book. In the study, we did have an exclusion criteria of violent patients. So we didn't. We thought it was very important that any patient that was significantly self-harming, or that was violent, shouldn't have the pencils because you know they could potentially put the pencil into their lacerations, or they could they could attack a member of staff with the pencils. So we actually did exclude those patients from the study. So one safety concern would be if you're going to give very sharp pencils to a group of patients that could be violent, that 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 could lead to assaults on staff or assaults on themselves. So that would be a significant harm that I would certainly share with the listeners to look out for. Well, those are our 10 nerdy questions, but I threw in one more because Corey knows that my favorite number is five, but my second favorite number is 11. And so the 11th nerdy question is about conflicts of interest. I read in your manuscript that you received no commercial support and declared no conflicts of interest. I want you to go on record. Did you or did you not receive any funding or support from the adult coloring book industry? I'd love to say, first of all, I have a three-year-old who would be absolutely over the moon to receive sponsorship from Crayola, but I can assure the listeners we didn't receive any free coloring pencils. They were purchased along with the BIC um, pens at Officeworks. So no commercial sponsorship for the study. But if Crayola is listening, anyone from Crayola is listening, feel free to send, send us some free samples. Thank you. Well, is there anything else you'd like the SGMers to know about your study? Um, nothing really. I think when we did the study, uh, intention, when we did the lit review, I, at least I felt that our therapy has been around for a while, but there haven't been too many studies that have looked at it in, a, in, in an RCT kind of focused manner. And so I guess uh, the, the overlying aim of this project was to maybe use this as a stepping stone to to look at other to to compare art therapy to other modalities and to just open up the research on it. Yeah, we'd love it if people just took this a little bit more seriously than our colleagues have. I think many of our colleagues thought it was a bit of a joke um, when we proposed the study, but I'd love it if the listeners just took it seriously and just tried it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But the worst case is that you try it and see how it goes. I was working clinical shift yesterday and I had two patients, uh, both of whom. Um, engage with the therapy. The first one said she's got three of them at home and she uses them all the time. She came with anxiety, somatoform symptoms. Second patient, borderline personality and with several carers, very upset and in pain. And then two hours later, she was still engaged with the coloring book. So that was just yesterday on my shift. So I'd certainly recommend trying it. Do you have any further studies then uh, in the works? Well, without sponsorship from a major leading brand of coloring pencils. I think we're going to struggle to do this again. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll lead us to comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusions. Well, can we agree with the author's conclusions? And how about an SGEM bottom line? Art therapy in the form of coloring books may be a useful non-pharmacologic alternative treatment for ED patients with anxiety. And a case resolution? You provide your patient with an adult coloring book and coloring pencils. Two hours later, they seem calmer and their ED visit is almost over. They thank you for providing them something to ease their mind during their stay. And how are you going to take this information and apply it clinically? Adult coloring books are a low-risk and potentially rewarding non-pharmacologic way to treat anxiety in the ED. 
And what are you going to tell the patient? You seem anxious, and this visit may take some time. Some people have found that being able to spend some time with a coloring book can help them cope with the stress of an ED visit. Would you like some supplies and try to do some coloring? And it's time to announce the last Keener Contest winner. And it was Jonathan Godfrey. Jonathan knew that the parachute trial stood for participation in randomized trials comprised of widely held benefit about lack of treatment equipoise. All right, Corey, what have you got for this episode? Well, I thought that response to the Keener contest from last week was amazing. That's I didn't pick up on that. That's, that's an awesome name for a study. So for this week, the question is going to be, Crayola Box was introduced in 1903, had eight colors, and sold for a nickel. What were the original colors? Oh, excellent question. Yes. If you know the eight original colors that were introduced in 1903 by Crayola, then send an email to the sgem at gmail.com with Keener in the subject line. The first correct answer will receive a cool skeptical prize. So another funny aside, Ken, I live in southwest Virginia, and as our listeners around the world and various countries may be aware, there's a variety of accents in America. I have all of my life pronounced the word crayons, and recently I was asked if my children at dinner one day wanted some crowns, and my daughter looked at me, and I realized what we were being asked, and apparently that's an alternative pronunciation is crowns. Really? Oh, so your daughter didn't go, you mean like, it's a tiara, like a crown? Well, no, she... she the, the almost nine-year-old is old enough to be a little skeptical. The four-year-old, if she'd been paying attention, she probably would have said, huh, crown? Uh, good of you, though, to teach them how to doubt and to be good skeptics and critical thinkers. Well, now it's your turn, S. Gemmers. What do you think about using adult coloring books to deal with patients' anxiety in the ED? Tweet your comments using hashtag S. What questions do you have for Naveen and his team? Ask them on the SGEM blog. The best social media feedback will be published in Academic Emergency Medicine. And if you want to pick up a few CME credits, you can just head over to the AEM homepage and click on the links we'll provide in the show notes. Type in February and bingo, bango, bongo. You can complete five questions and get your CME credit. If you have any problems, don't talk to me. Talk to Corey. Well, thanks, Naveen, for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having us. And you guys came in on a Saturday morning in Australia. So you were up at the crack of dawn, got into the hospital, and did this. That's commitment to disseminating your research. <laughs> yeah. We're going to go to the beach now, so thanks. And have a beer. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Andrew, uh, for supervising Naveen. Did we live up to uh, our promise of being gentle on the intern? Yeah, he did his color. He did his coloring before he started, so he was he wasn't very anxious about it. <laughs> so you gave him an adult coloring book before he came on the SGM Hot podcast because we are so anxiety provoking. Anyways, well, thank you, Corey, for uh, doing another SGM Hop with me. You're welcome, Ken. And it is Friday at five o'clock here, and even though I'm an ER doctor, that means a lot. All right. Well, uh, now it's time to get our guest to give the tagline. So Naveen. You being the lead author, can you read the SGEM tagline? Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next time. See your truth.